welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Executive Pastor Chris Valdez. Will you battle with me in prayer before we get into the Word? Heavenly Father, we honor you this morning. We honored you in our praise, and we want to honor you in your Word. Be honored. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the promise you made. Thank you for the promise you fulfilled. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you sent to reveal all truth. And we pray that He will be at work this morning revealing your truth to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. We're so glad you're with us this morning. Y'all look good. Take some pictures. Did you know that the Easter message can be summed up in six words? Christ was born, Christ died, and Christ rose. As simple as that message is, don't get your hopes up, because that's, that's not the end of the message. We're not going to get out of here early. I've got more. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father's will. He suffered and died on the cross, an innocent man. He went there in our place. And then on the third day, a morning just like this morning, he rose from the grave. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as good as that news is, it gets even better. As long as I can remember, I have known about this gospel. I was raised on this gospel. I don't remember any time of my life without knowing this gospel. But the older I get and the more that God reveals to me in his word, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. (laughs) And I know gooder is not a word. But maybe it will help you walk out of here this morning remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just good news. It's gooder news and it's the best news. Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 6. We read, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and they bowed down their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You know, the miracle we celebrate at Easter is not an empty tomb. The tomb could have been an elaborate April Fool's joke. The religious leaders actually paid the guards to say someone came and stole them and said, if you get any trouble, we'll we'll back you up. 
So the fact that there was an empty tomb isn't enough for us. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was seen alive. He was touched. He taught. And 40 days after the resurrection, a large crowd gathered and watched as the living, breathing Christ ascended into heaven. That's the living Christ that we serve. That's the miracle of Easter that we remember. I don't have time this morning to fully explain the, the, the life of Christ after his resurrection or the ascension. But Pastor Darrell did an amazing job back in February. It was his message on February 2nd entitled The Mystery of Christ. If you missed that message, go back. You can find it on our website or on our podcast. If you did not hear that message, go back and listen to it. You will get a new revelation of Christ in that message. But right now, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to contemplate something. We're going to contemplate the emptiness. The emptiness of the tomb. Jesus had told the disciples before his death he would come back in three days. But did you notice what we just read a minute ago? It says they were perplexed about why his body wasn't there. He told them he wasn't going to be there. He told them he was going to rise, but they didn't believe him. They show up and they're perplexed. Where did his body go? They went to a place of death to find the living Christ. Generations of prophecy proclaimed that he was coming back. But when they went to find them, to find him, they went to the place of the dead. Who looks for a living person in a tomb? Only the dead are in a tomb. If you were to try to find me during the week, you might come to my office You might look at my house. You might ask my wife where I am. You might try to reach me on my cell phone. But you're not going to go to the cemetery. I'm alive. You're going to look in the places of the living. But the women and the disciples went to the tomb, an empty tomb, to find Christ. And what did the angels ask them? Why do you seek the living among the dead? All they found was an empty tomb. All they found was emptiness. How often do we put our hope, we put our faith, we put our trust in something that winds up being empty? Last Easter, our children's director, Amanda Thomas, had a great idea on how we could teach the children about the empty tomb. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment and say we have an amazing group of people in our nursery and in our children's area and in our youth ministry that and our leaders and our volunteers. They absolutely love your kids. Amen. Yeah. Give them a hand. We appreciate them. My wife and kids are back there right now. They came to the earliest. But all hands are on deck back there right now. They strive each and every week to show your kids the love of Christ. And I can't express enough 
to you how thankful we are that you trust us with your most precious gifts, your children, to teach them about the love of Christ. We don't take it for granted and we don't take that responsibility lightly. So back to, back to Amanda and, and the empty tomb idea. She actually came to me and said, I, I found this. It's this great idea uh, on how to teach the kids about Jesus, that he's risen, and about the empty tomb. So we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. And I said, okay, that's a good idea. And she said, and all the eggs are going to be empty. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I mean, they're going to they're gonna understand the empty tomb when they open up these eggs. I, I, she explained the whole thing. There was this great object lesson. I mean, it's good stuff. And we think, this is a great idea. So that she plans and prepares. And so we have this Easter egg. All the, the kids don't have any idea. All they know is we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. And uh, I don't know, even if you've never had an Easter egg hunt, if you've ever even just picked up one of those plastic eggs, you can tell pretty quick the difference between a full egg and an empty egg. You know, there's a considerable weight difference no matter what's in there. And so it did not take long for one, you know, inspiring kid uh, to, to pick up an egg and say, this just doesn't feel right. And he popped it open. I was like, it's empty. Another kid and another kid and another kid. They're all empty. And so then I think they got the idea that somewhere among all these eggs, there must be some phenomenal prize. And so they just start, you know, they're just like going and going and going. But egg after egg after egg, emptiness. There was nothing to be found. And it started weighing on some of these children and uh, some of our young boys. Didn't even bother to bend down and pick them up anymore. They just started stomping on them. And looking back and saying, nope, still empty. They're like, we've been gypped. We've been had. What's the deal? And the lesson was going to come later. And they did all go home with a sack of candy. But they were very upset by the emptiness. We have documented evidence of this event. It's a photo of our children directors, one of her daughters, Eliana Kate. Can you put that up? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, people. That's hurt. That's a broken heart. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't get that on a second take. Do you know, I mean, I, I, I was talking to Pastor Daryl and even Amanda before, and I said, you know, I don't know what the kids got out of that Easter lesson. After the first service, I talked to some kids. They remember. <laughs> they have not forgot the lesson. So maybe, maybe they got something out of the lesson, too. But I thought, if nothing came out of it but this photo, the fact that she caught that in that moment, in that instant, Mom, Mama, it's empty. There's nothing here. Look at the emptiness, Mama. Look at the emptiness. Nothing is here. And I want you to keep that picture in your mind as we continue 
to study the word this morning. Don't let that face, don't let that heart of brokenness get out of your mind. We have been studying the gospel in Galatians and this morning in Galatians chapter three, we're going to continue to study the gospel, the good news that Paul is preaching in Galatians. But he's also telling us about what the good news is not. He's telling us, don't look in the wrong places. Don't misplace your hope. Don't misplace your faith. Don't misplace your trust. He's saying over and over again, if we do, we're going to come up empty. There's emptiness everywhere else that we look. It's like looking for life in an empty tomb. We're never going to find it there. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts out saying, O foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the Galatians didn't witness Christ's crucifixion and they didn't witness his resurrection. But Paul, through his witness, had preached him his life. He had preached his crucifixion. He had preached his resurrection and they had accepted the word. They had accepted the truth. But some other people came in and started telling them lies and they were beginning to believe that. So Paul is writing them this letter and he's saying, who's bewitched you? And he says, let me ask you this. He starts asking them several rhetorical questions that have obvious answers. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the answer is obvious. It was faith. And then in verse three, he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, obvious answer. No, if you go to the flesh, you're not going to be perfected. You started in the spirit, finish in the spirit. Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, it's faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, listen to this. Get this, the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles. That's all of us. Any non-Jew is a Gentile. God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ beforehand to Abraham. This is before Christ. Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And that's what Paul has been saying over and over in Galatians. It's about your faith in the living Christ. It's not about the law. It's not about works. It's by faith. And not only is it about faith now, it's always been about faith. And Paul is saying works of the law are empty. 
You're going to look like Eliana. Your face is going to be just as disappointed if you've put your faith in the works of the law because it's empty. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So are a few people justified by law before God? Are all people justified by law before God? Is one person justified by law before God? No. No one, not one person will be justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He says the law is a curse, not a form of redemption, not a form of salvation. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 17, this is what I mean. He's saying I can't get any clearer than this. The law, which came 430 years after, does not annul a covenant, a promise previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. This is good news. This is good news. And I want to show you what Paul's saying here. Jump with me all the way back to Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. This is the first time in the Bible that Abraham is mentioned. This is the first time in the Bible that God speaks any word to Abraham. And look at what he says. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what Paul was referring to. He's saying, was this just a promise to the, the people of Israel? Was this just a promise that the nation of Israel was going to be created? No, from the very beginning, God's promise to Abraham, the plan from day one is that this was a good news and a good promise for all the families of the earth. By promise, by faith, Abraham received that word and that promise. But do you see what just happened here? Like I said a moment ago, this is the first appearance of Abraham in the Bible and the first recorded words to him from God. The first thing God does is make a promise to him to bless him, to make a great nation from him and to bless the entire world through him. And Abraham has done nothing. Nothing. To deserve it. The promise is from God. And it's an undeserved promise. He's done no work. No righteous deed. God just came and made him a promise. And he believed. Amen. Amen. But for some reason, we immediately go to law and works. When we look back even at Abraham. And we say... 
Well, and what Paul is telling us in Galatians is if we do, if we look at law and if we look at works, we're going to miss the whole point and we're going to come up empty. Because when we look back at Abraham, we say things like he trusted God. And when he went into a land that he didn't know, he was acting out in obedience and it was a work and God honored him for that work. And that's true. But God made the promise before he went to the new land. And then we'll say things like, well, then Abraham obeyed God's word when God commanded him and all the men with him to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. And that's true. But God made the promise before he got circumcised. And that's what Paul's talking about in Galatians. He's saying, what came first, the promise or the sign? The promise was first. The faith was first. It was never about the work. And then we go to Isaac, that he was faithful and that he was going to sacrifice his son and he was going to give up everything for God. And that's true. But what came first? The promise. Before he'd done anything, before he'd done any righteous act or work or of obedience, God had made the promise. And not only to him and not only to Israel, but to all mankind that there was something better coming. And the Bible tells us by faith, Abraham believed at that moment, believing the word of God. That was it. He'd received the whole promise. And this is the point that Paul's trying to make so clear in Galatians. God made the promise to Abraham 430 years before the law was given to Moses. The law's purpose was never to save. Never. That was never the point. That was never the purpose. Scripture, the law, imprisoned all the world to sin. And we're going to look at that in Galatians 3, verse 21 and 22. It says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything, everyone, the entire world under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law just imprisoned all. It reveals sin and lawlessness. It has no power to save. Paul tells us that the law was given to Moses. That law came 430 years after the promise to Abraham. It did not do away with the promise. If the law of Moses was meant to be a means of salvation, then the promise to Abraham wasn't a real promise. It wasn't a real covenant of God if it was just tossed out. The purpose of the law is to show us that we are not righteous, but it cannot give us the power to be righteous. Ironically, if we think we can be righteous by the law, we have missed the main point of the law. Paul tells us in Galatians, the law is a curse. The blessing comes from the promise. In Galatians 3, verse 26 through 29, we read, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We don't have it on the screen, but later on, Paul also expounds on the fact that the promise was to Abraham's seed. He says, not to the seeds, plural, to the seed. And that seed was Jesus Christ. That was the promise to Abraham. The function of the law was to declare that the whole world was a prisoner of sin. The purpose of the law was to reveal sin. The law did this in order to clarify the function of the promise to Abraham in history. So that what was promised might be given to those who believe God's promise was always through faith in Christ Jesus. Are you getting this? This is good news. Do you understand now what Paul said in Galatians 3.8? He said that God preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ beforehand. He was prophesied for thousands of years beforehand that he would come and that he would bring salvation to the world. The Bible says over and over about the fathers of the faith that they believed God and it was accounted to them as righteousness. They believed the promise. They believed in Christ before he came. They were looking forward to the promise. We look back to the promise. He has come. He did live. He did die. And he did rise. But we have to believe it. We have to receive it as a promise from God, as truth. The same way that they had faith looking ahead, we have faith looking back. But it's not in an empty tomb. It's in a living, breathing, resurrected Jesus Christ. Before we close this morning, I want to make something very clear. Accepting the promise of Christ in your life is just the first step in following Him the rest of your life. I can't stress how important this is. It's just the beginning. It's just the first step. We have a book that we um, have been giving out for a while. It's called Ten Steps Toward Christ. And if you know of anybody that is seeking after Christ or needs Christ, or maybe they're a new believer, pick up a copy. There's plenty out in the foyer. We'd love for them to have it because even if they've come to Christ, like I said, that's the first step. We have to go on in our walk with Him, and this will help in that. And even better, we can get uh, associated with people and relationships with people where we can disciple one another and walk along with each other in faith. But please feel free, and if you want a copy of this book, feel free to take one. And, but really, if you know anyone who you think needs any help in their walk with Christ, please take one and give them a copy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please don't miss this. There's two halves to this verse and they're both very important. God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, who was innocent to be sin for us. To take our place, to take our guilt, to take our punishment. He did that for us. But it 
that just gets us to step one. The new life in Christ. That's where your new life starts. It would be like having a baby and then just leaving them there and walking away and saying, wait, we have a baby. There's a new life and now it's done. We're not going to do anything else with it, with, it, with it. When we come to Christ, we're a new creation. Born into a new life. All things have passed that are old. All things have become new. And you just start that new life there. The second half of that verse says, So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And we do that through the life of Christ in us. And finally, we read in Romans 8, verse 10 through 11. If Christ is in you, if the living, breathing, resurrected Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you have received Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Christ is in you. The Spirit is in you. Jesus said, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. So the Father is in you. You're totally new. You've got a totally new life. You can walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And you can be an example to everyone that you meet. In life, in the life of Christ that's in us. Paul preached to the Galatians that the law was empty. He preached Christ crucified and resurrected and that the tomb was empty. Without the living, breathing, resurrected Christ Jesus in us, we are empty. Our works are empty. The law is empty. Anything we put our faith and hope and our trust in is empty, but we can be filled with the living Christ Jesus. And remember, Eliana, Sophia, though. Yeah, I got that. Sophia. If you've spent your entire life putting your hope and your trust and your faith in things that have kept coming up empty, and you open another one and it's empty, and you open, open the law and it's empty, and you open... Hope in your income and it's empty and you put open hope in your health and it's empty. You open hope in your family and it's empty. And you just keep coming up empty. I guarantee you that everything that you seek, every way, every means, by every way that's not Christ, you're going to come up empty. And that's exactly how it feels. I've done it. I've tried my fair share of other routes. I've never found another one that works. But when Christ comes, when the living, breathing, resurrected Christ comes and He fills that emptiness, it'll never be empty again. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ and that's the good news of Easter. Amen. Well, bow with me as we pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank You. We thank You. We thank You. We thank You. For the promise given 
and for the promise fulfilled. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit do a transforming work in our hearts and lives this morning. That this wouldn't be another time where we put faith in an idea of Christ, in the idea of an empty tomb, in the idea of a Lord and Savior, but that we would open our emptiness and let the living, breathing, resurrected Christ Jesus come in. We honor you this morning. We give you all praise and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.